uh, James, the brother of Jesus, uh, wrote uh, these words. In James chapter 3, verse 4, he says, Look at the ships. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. They're not ships exactly. That's the Sydney to Hobart yacht race. He said this, another familiar image for you and I, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. James is making a point about very small things that can have great power. And his point is this, to paraphrase, he says, also the tongue is a very small thing, but the tongue has great power. Now, words have power. Uh, Everybody knows that words have power. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus, uh, wrote these words and he spoke at length about it. He even went so far as to say that if you can control even just your words, then you would be perfect and you would prove your ability to control your whole body. Imagine that. If you could just control that small thing, your tongue, then you would have the power inside of you to control your whole body. What a good place to start, but yeah, right, (laughs) as if. Now, the passage we've looked at today is about the power of Jesus' speech and words. And leading up to the passage, uh, he's been earning for himself a reputation because of his words. So earlier on in chapter 4, verse 15, uh, it says he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all uh, because of his teaching, presumably, his words. Uh, Verse 22, all marveled at the gracious words. That, uh, that were coming from his mouth. Uh, throughout our passage, it continues. In verse 32, you might have noticed, it says they were all astonished at his teaching, at his words. And in verse 36, they were amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For he speaks with power, uh, with authority and power. And it's worth remembering that while all were amazed, not all were necessarily impressed Just before our passage in verse 28, uh, Jesus spoke uh, somewhat controversially and there were people who said uh, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Uh, So there were people who also uh, objected to the words of Jesus. We're talking today about the power of Jesus' words uh, and specifically um, the, the power and the priority of his words. Uh, And we see these things come out in this passage, and we see it, you know, at least in part just from the fact that they uh, get such a great reaction, either for or against, from whoever he speaks to. So, Jesus has already established a pattern of uh, wherever he goes, uh, heading to the local synagogue, which is like the Jewish meeting place, kind of like what we do at church on Sunday, only what the Jews did uh, around the first century and, and, and that time. Now, that's what uh, he's doing here in Capernaum. In verse 32, it says, um, they're astonished at his teaching for his word possesses authority. This is as he goes around all the synagogues and teaching. Uh, But there's another mysterious power in the synagogue that day, one that considers itself a rival of Jesus. In verse 33, it says, in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. In the war of words that follows, we know who it is who wins. It's Jesus. In verse 34, Jesus rebukes the unclean demon uh, and he says, be silent and come out. And violently, but silently, the demon comes out immediately. Just like Jesus says, 
and the man who had the demon is well. Now, the point is simple enough, uh, and, uh, and that's the point that I want to keep majoring on today, that Jesus' words possess a remarkable power and authority. But the events here are so foreign, aren't they? Um, they're so foreign that I think we need to spend a little bit of time thinking about what it is that is going on here with a man with a demon. What is that? Um, Luke uses these words in verse 33. It says, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. What does he mean when he says that? And what could it mean for you and I today to be thinking about people out there with spirits of unclean demons? First, I want to say that the words, um, Luke is trying to be clear by using more words maybe than necessary. Um, spirit, the word um, is it can just literally mean the word uh, breath or air, um, but often and mostly it does mean something like a, of an otherworldly life or entity. Um, the word unclean means, you know, like impure, kind of like you can imagine something that's not clean is dirty, um, something that un- is unclean is impure, but it's used mostly in a, uh, in a ritual sense, um, so something is, is, uh, is considered impure, uh, ritualistically. Um, and a demon is probably something like how you or I understand the word demon, uh, a combination of those above things, something that's impure and spiritual, uh, you know, a, an evil spiritual life force. Now, does all of this make you feel a bit uncomfortable? Um, I don't know if it makes you, f- it, it makes me feel uneasy. And part of what makes me feel uneasy about this is that it's just so unfamiliar. I mean, apart from reading about this sort of thing happening over and over again throughout the life of Jesus, it's certainly not a thing I see over and over again in my life today. And it's something that you don't even see very much throughout the rest of the Bible. Uh, We can break part of the power of this, you know, mysterious and scary thing by making this thing that's unfamiliar more familiar. Here's one way we can do that. For example, maybe we can blame... um, uh, maybe blaming an evil spiritual being was just a first century way of understanding things like mental illness. Maybe. Uh, there is evidence of this sort of thing that the Bible uses uh, language uh, that, that operates in, in its own time to mean certain things that we understand differently today. For example, in the Bible, it talks about the heart being the place that our thoughts and feelings come from, whereas we know today that it's not our heart at all, but it's our head, although we still speak about it because it, it rings true to say, you know, you feel something in your heart. Um, and, and so I, I think there is a little bit of this that goes on in the Bible sometimes, and I so dearly want that to be the case, uh, that, uh, that there's just a simple, natural explanation for this uh, weird, spooky, spiritual thing uh, that's being talked about here. You know, I like scientific things. I like naturalistic and sensible explanations for things, especially for things that I don't understand. I've told you my bias, um, but unfortunately Luke hasn't left that option open to me in this case. We can't just simply explain this away as something familiar and known to us uh, because there is something mysterious and undeniably spiritual going on here. The demon speaks... And it speaks with more truth and clarity than almost anyone else that Jesus encounters in his travels. With such insight, in verse 34, the demon says, Have you come to destroy us? 
I know who you are, the Holy One of God. These aren't the words of just a madman, a man suffering from mental illness and delusion. These words have an uncanny grasp of spiritual truth. This is a very real spiritual adversary. And I want to say that does ring somewhat true for today as well. I remember once uh, speaking to a lady that I was working with and she told me about her visit to a fortune teller. She wanted to know if her house was going to sell or not. Uh, And because of my bias that I told you about before, I like simple, natural, common sense explanations for things, my immediate reaction was to scoff. You know, oh, why would you go and see, you know, someone who's deluded, who just thinks they can tell the future? Or maybe worse, someone who's a fraud, who just wants you to think they can tell the future. But later that day, I had to scold myself for reacting that way because I remembered that as a Christian, I really do believe in the spiritual realm. I really do. I believe even in things that I don't like believing in sometimes because I'm convinced of their truth. It really shouldn't take me so long to remember what I myself believe, perhaps, but hey, that not that the way? As a student of the Bible, I really do believe what I'm taught in here, even the bits I don't like and even the bits I don't understand. And bringing uh, all this into the current world, um, to write all spiritual work and fortune-telling off um, just as uh, the work of delusion or fraud, it just doesn't quite cover every base. It doesn't actually explain everything that people see and experience in their lives. I do think there's people tapping into real powers that I just don't understand and probably real powers that they don't understand fully either. Now, I say all of this for people like me who fall on the side of wanting to explain away the spiritual in favour of the natural. My guess is I'm not alone in this room. Um, But what about those who favour spiritual explanations over natural? There are people, and maybe you here, who read things about demons in the Bible and find that just easy as anything to believe and accept. Of course there's a spiritual world. You know, the spiritual world explains, the existence of a spiritual world explains so much of what we don't understand. But there are some people who can take this too far as well, just like I can take my position too far. There are people who can go too far with that. You can start to think, for example, that every sickness is some example of a spiritual oppression, whereas actually it's just a virus or a bug. You you might make a case in verse 39 of this same passage where Jesus speaks to the fever uh, of Simon Peter's mother-in-law and he rebukes the fever, which is the same word uh, for how he spoke to the spirit. He rebuked the spirit. And so you might think, oh, gee, maybe there's something spiritual going on for Simon Peter's mother-in-law as well and maybe all sickness is some spiritual ailment too. But something I've observed is that people who favour overly spiritual explanations, who lean too far on that side, seem to live with a higher hum of fear. Just always sort of buzzing around. There's a bit of fear that maybe what I don't understand is going to get me or get my friends and has some power beyond what I can grasp. If there is an unseen power that you can't understand or put your finger on, it could be lurking anywhere. It could be coming at any time. Here's the reality that I think we see uh, in, uh, in this story of Jesus. The reality is that the spiritual and the physical are impossibly intertwined so that you actually can't escape either reality. 
While it is, for example, the demon in the man saying the words, you are the Holy One of God, it is the man himself in verse 33 who utters them. It's his voice box and his mouth that's moving. There's this spiritual, physical interplay going on. In the same way that the spiritual and physical are connected, um, mind and body are connected, aren't they? We all know this. Are you stressed in your mind about something? Have you felt what that does to your heart physically? It makes the rate, your heart rate go up. Are you living in constant physical pain? Well, see what that does to your mood and your mind. Just like our mind uh, and our body are connected, impossibly connected, um, so are the spiritual and the physical. So for those of you like me who lean towards wanting physical, straightforward explanations for everything, believe that there is a spiritual reality and pray. Make prayer, the spiritual exercise of prayer, part of your practical living in this world that is real. For those of you who lean towards the spiritual uh, explanations of things, pray as well. Uh, You're right, there is a spiritual realm. There is a spiritual battle going on. Uh, but it's one that is one. It is one that, um, that we have access to Jesus throughout uh, and one that uh, God has power and mastery over. So pray. Don't be afraid. Because the lesson here is that Jesus has power. Either way, there is no need to fear. You know, with a single word and a harsh word at that, it says Jesus rebuked the spirit and he violently dismisses the demon and gives absolute deliverance. You know, Jesus doesn't have to speak tenderly to this thing. He doesn't have to negotiate. He just rebukes it outright, and it leaves. And with the same rebuke, he dismisses the fever in verse 39. Now, we don't have to conclude that fevers have um, sentience and comprehension just because Jesus spoke to one and it apparently heard him. In the same way, it says later on in the book of Luke that Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves. We don't have to believe that the wind and the waves are, are powered by the devil or that they have a mind of their own. The point is just that Jesus' words have a power beyond what we can comprehend um, and that everyone and everything comprehends them, whether they've got comprehension skills or not. We just have to see that for all the things we can't comprehend in this passage, the power of Jesus and his word uh, is the greatest thing that you and I will never comprehend. But Jesus' word has almighty power. His words also take priority. This is the final point. There is a priority uh, in Jesus' ministry on his words. Uh, Jesus is in the process of kicking off a rollicking healing ministry. Uh, With the right manager, you get the impression that he could fund a private jet or two uh, in no time flat. But the end of this day... He takes a surprising turn. In fact, I told the children it was later that night. The passage says clearly, doesn't it? It was the next day. Verse 42. When it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. I mean, as you would. He has power in his words to heal every disease and cast out every demon. But Jesus said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, I was sent for this purpose. 
and he goes around preaching. It tells us something, doesn't it, of Jesus' priority. Even though he had this great power at his disposal, um, his priority wasn't to run a healing ministry. His priority wasn't uh, to uh, cast out demons and to draw attention to himself in the grand ways, but his priority was to teach. Because Jesus is dealing with more than just uh, what physically ails us. Uh, He's dealing with more than uh, things like uh, demon oppression and possession. Um, But he's dealing with uh, what ails and uh, and oppresses all of us, uh, which is our sin. In the same way, we see his priority in the next chapter, and we're not going to look at this particular miracle, where Jesus is confronted with a paralytic man lying, paralyzed on his bed, and Jesus' first words to him, for all the power in his words, isn't stand up and walk. Jesus' first words are, your sins are forgiven. I think it tells us something of Jesus' priority to heal the spiritual sickness before the physical as of greater priority. It's a good lesson for today that the words of Jesus, uh, his gospel message, take priority. The miracles are just the proof. Uh, John calls them in his gospel, he calls the miracles of Jesus a sign. He calls them signs. Now, in Brisbane, when, uh, when I lived there, I can't remember where it was, but there was, there was a sign in Brisbane to Darwin. You know, you're driving along and you see a sign, turn this way, Darwin. Now, it almost gives you the impression or the illusion that Darwin's not actually very far away. I mean, the sign is right there. It makes you feel close. But the sign isn't the destination, is it? The sign is something different. The miracles are the sign. They're not the point. They point to the Word and to Jesus' truth. Here's the thing, as... As time moves on in the Bible, we see, we see a lot of this spiritual activity and miracles happening in, uh, in the life of Jesus. We see it continue in the life of the apostles immediately after. But then by the time things sort of settle into a routine and people are moving into churches and, um, and, the, and the gospel, the main work of mission work uh, is going out, um, these people start writing letters to the churches. And things like putting your hands on people and healing them barely rate a mention. Things like you know, demon possession doesn't rate a mention. And so even though there's something condensed here in the stories of Jesus about this spiritual warfare and the power and the, and the miraculous of what he's doing, all of that was to point to the, the, the priority of Jesus' teaching and his work, which wasn't the miraculous. It was his healing work uh, for broken souls and broken hearts. Just before the passage that we've read, uh, this is in Luke chapter 4. Jesus is teaching in a synagogue and he's handed a scroll and it opens up to the prophet Isaiah and he reads these words in verse 18 of chapter 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus giving people freedom, as it turns out, wasn't mainly to do with his healing work or his exorcisms, uh, but mainly 
about the gospel, uh, the, the true story of the kingdom of God that had come uh, and his love uh, for you and I. This was a pretty regular occurrence for me in my first year of university. I'd rock up at uni after a leisurely weekend and I'd be greeted by my frazzled classmates asking how I got on with the write-ups that they'd spent their whole weekend on. Write-up? What write-up? Well, you know, the one our lecturer told us about last week. I didn't know about it. One thing I was good at at uni was not missing a class. I was always there, but I wasn't very good at paying attention while I was there. The words of my lecturers that had such an effect on everyone around me happened to just totally go by me altogether. Jesus' words have real power and the fact that not everyone recognises it is no reflection on the power of Jesus' words. Just like um, the, you know, the, the power of my lecturers to say, oh, you have something due next week, um, the fact that I didn't hear it and didn't pay attention to it didn't mean uh, that it didn't affect me and didn't matter to me. It just meant that it didn't, I just wasn't thinking about it. If everyone who heard Jesus then was either intrigued or infuriated, then if you hear Jesus' words and are left feeling cold, it's probably because you're not paying attention to Jesus' words. It's probably because you failed to understand. And I want you to take heart too, because maybe it's not you, but maybe it's your friends and everyone around you who just seems to think it's not relevant, not important what Jesus has to say for them. Maybe your friends aren't paying attention But I want you to take heart. Know that the fault isn't with the message. The fault isn't with the gospel. The power of Jesus' words are there, whether your friends recognize it or not. Remember that we are uh, engaging in a spiritual battle where there are realities that you and I may well not understand, certainly don't understand. Um, But let's take heart and remember that Jesus' words do have power. They have the power to heal Uh, and they have the power to heal our greatest need and that of our friends as well. So let's pray um, that our our faith will grow and pray that our friends uh, will hear. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the uh, irrefutable proof, undeniable proof that your words have power, that Jesus, uh, as he spoke, was able to dismiss demons, cure sickness. But Father, we thank you for um, what that proved. That when Jesus came speaking and declaring uh, that your kingdom had come on earth and that people had better now or never bow the knee and submit to the Lord of heaven, when he came to teach uh, that God is a God of love, who will accept, accept back his wandering children if we just return to him. Father, we thank you that uh, his word came with authority. And for those of us who believe, we thank you for the way uh, uh, you have overpowered us with your word uh, so that we must submit uh, to your word and your truth. Father, we pray that you'll help us to believe in its absolute truth. Pray that you'll help us to have faith in the power of your word and your gospel 
And we pray that you will uh, help us to have confidence in sharing these truths with our friends uh, and taking an initiative and having the courage uh, to share these words of power uh, and and life uh, changing ability uh, with those around us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.